because we've been talking and praying about it so much when we went to the church it was something that we knew it wasn't anything different to us but to them it was it was maybe a bit of a shock to some what is the general attitude of of people in the community towards you as a church towards christianity in general Largely people see church as irrelevant. People are fairly indifferent to, to, to the gospel and to what church has to say. At worst, I think there is a growing hostility. I think people were appreciative because I was able to stand with them and just be real uh, and bring words of comfort and use it as an opportunity for the gospel. Hey everybody, I want to welcome you to the Before You Quit podcast where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard and man does it get hard sometimes. My name is Mitch Schultz. I am your host for these podcasts. Haven't dared to give over the rights to this to anybody else. Nobody wants it, so I'm stuck with it, but I like doing it. <laughs> and I'm the director of also of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Uh, I'm going to share something personal here. This is a little bit of our history. It's it's the podcast not going to be about this. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing a, a friend. He's become a good friend of mine who's a pastor, uh, ministry leader in England. But let me just set this up, give you a little context of why I'm doing this. A little over 18 years ago, my wife Elaine and I and our family came back to the States from serving in England for seven years. Uh, and we returned really uh, broken practically ruined my wife had just uh, was just beginning the recovery stages from brain surgery that was an ordeal that happened in England she was on Liverpool Hospital for about two months and uh, came out of that just really uh, disoriented I'm, I'm going to tell my story sometime in a full podcast so I don't want this to be taking up too much time of, of uh, our story but it is important context and two weeks after we arrived in the States, my oldest son, Travis, was diagnosed with brain cancer as well, and he ended up passing away 10 months later. Um, now, we left England after having pastored a church in the northwest part of England in a town called Warrington, and we absolutely loved our time there. I mean, it, we loved the culture. We loved the people. Uh, we especially love seeing God move in the hearts and lives of, of many who are being drawn to Jesus, uh, especially in a community and in a, in a society uh, where there was really not a, a strong Christ-like presence. And it just was exciting to see. I had a lot, lot of opportunity to disciple young men, and my wife was part of discipling young women. We saw a lot of people baptized. And in all my years of ministry, honestly, in 33 years of doing this, I still look back over those years, those seven years as my golden years. But because of our medical situation we and some other uh, things that just happened to come together at that time, uh, we were not able to go back. There was also some strategy changes with the denomination I was working with. And uh, in the meantime, the church we'd pastored as we resettled in a, in a new ministry in the States. That church in England continued to navigate, you know, the normal challenges of new leadership, declining attendance, redirecting their vision, and and really doing all of this uh, with a lot of ups and downs in a society, not all that interested in spiritual things. But God was still doing some amazing things, but there were a lot of challenges too. Well, I had the, the privilege. We went probably 10, 15 years with uh, contact, maybe with just several people, but uh, really got out of touch with the ministry. And about three years ago, with this ministry, with what I'm doing now, I was able to reconnect with that church, and took I've taken three trips back there in the last three or four years. And uh, it's just been exciting to see how this uh, small, faithful community has rebooted, has 
uh, revive their vision. And uh, they've been mostly, since the time I left, with the exception of a few years, they've been mostly led by elders, a group of three men. And, um, and just a year ago, maybe a couple years ago, the, the church uh, brought one of those men into full-time leadership in this church, in that church. His name is Andy, Andy Jordan. And he's the one I'm going to be talking to today about what it's like to lead a church in post-Christian Europe, especially post-Christian England. Um, Andy's uh, just an extremely pleasant guy. We've become good friends. He was born in Jamaica uh, in the year when England won the World Cup. Work that out. Uh, I care. A lot of people aren't going to care, but uh, that's a long time ago. His parents became Christian soon after returning to the UK, and his dad went into ministry himself. So Andy was what the Brits would call a vicar's kid, a VK. He was the eldest of five, which made life growing up in some of the toughest parts of London and Liverpool quite interesting, he says. Well, Andy accepted the Lord as a child, and he met his wife, Helen, at Chester University. They have two grown children, and uh, he's been the elder at Birchwood Community Church in Warrington for around eight years. And two years ago, having spent most of his career in teaching, God gave him the most amazing opportunity to serve uh, him full-time in Birchwood in this church as mission director. He's really the lead guy responsible for all that's happening in the church. So it's it's with great excitement that I had the chance to sit down with Andy and, and talk about what all of that is like. And uh, so I'm going to take you to that right now. Enjoy this podcast. I think it's going to be a real encouragement to you. All right, I have uh, an exciting privilege to be talking to Andy Jordan, and he is uh, in England across the pond in a place. Well, tell us, tell us where you are, Andy. Hi, Mitch. Um, so I'm in Birchwood, which is in Warrington, uh, which is in the northwest of England, with with roughly halfway between Liverpool and Manchester. Across the Atlantic, and I asked you before we started recording how the weather is, and usually there's just one answer, raining, but you said it's dry there. How unusual? Dry, yeah, which is fairly unusual. Manchester is very well known for being wet, and uh, we're quite close to Manchester, so. Well, this, uh, this interview is dear to my heart. Uh, you are currently leading, uh, lead pastor or lead elder at the church that I pastored nearly 20 years ago. I served as the uh, pastor there for uh, for seven years, and we've had a chance to connect a few times in the last four or five years. And uh, so this is this is going to be exciting today to talk about, um, you know, what, what's been happening there. I, I lost touch with, uh, I, I kept up with a couple of the guys for about 15, 16 years, but not not a lot, not really concerning the work. But when I took a trip there three years ago, it, it really reconnected me with uh, with the church. And then you you were new to the scene. And uh, so this, this is dear to my heart. Tell us uh, how you ended up doing what you're doing. Uh, tell us a little bit about the leadership. Tell us your story. Uh, so um, I was a primary school teacher for 18 years. Um, now primary would be elementary here. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so we might we might need to do some translation along the way here. <laughs> up to the age of eleven. Uh, okay. My wife, yeah. My wife Helen still is. Uh, she's got the, the little one. She's got the preschoolers. Um, but uh, I I left teaching about twelve years ago, um, and just around that time uh, we moved to to Birchwood Community Church as a family. Just before that. Yeah, Birchwood is in a town called uh, Warrington, and um, it's uh, 
Yeah. Population. And, uh, what's the population of, of Warrington? Uh, so Warrington would be around 170,000 and Birchwood is about 11 and a half, 12,000. Okay. So it's a separate community on, on the outskirts of Warrington. Yeah. On the outskirts. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I finished teaching and went to do a, a community project in Manchester. Um, did that for about 10 years. And then um, around about two years ago, the Lord um, made it quite clear to me that my time there was up. He closed that door um, and another door opened. So I was already involved in, in church ministry. Um, I was one of the three elders at Birchwood um, for a number of years. But yeah, the, the church the church was without a pastor, has been without a pastor for quite a few yeah. years. It's been elder led for how many years? Yes, yeah, so it's been it's been led by by lay people, by elders for, for the past well, all the time we've been there. And and that's about 13, 14 years now. Um so a leadership team of um currently three elders and uh, four deacons. Um so I was initially involved as a deacon and then as an elder. Um, and then two years ago, uh, God called me to, to go full time and uh, eventually convinced the church it was a good thing to do as well, which is uh, quite important. Yeah, I remember being part of that conversation with you and, and the elders. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of soul searching there, a lot of uncertainty, uh, maybe a yeah, sense of was, risk. Yeah, I mean, we initially, I certainly my wife anyway, she wanted to avoid it like the plague. Um, you know, and uh, I began to, to sense that it was the right thing for me to do. We, we had been looking tentatively elsewhere. We initially thought, yeah, we can, we need somebody full time, um, not necessarily pastor, but we need a full time leader to do all the stuff that God's calling us to do. We just don't have the time, the three of us elders. Um, yeah, because these are, these are guys that had full-time jobs. They were yeah, professional sure. people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, the other two, are, certainly one of them is, you know, he flies all around the world in his, yeah. his So they're just really busy people. And um, so we, we thought about looking elsewhere, thought one or two individuals came to mind and that wasn't right. And then I just had this nagging sense, really, that, that this was the time. And I was only, I've turned 50 now. I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to do it, then now's the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the key thing really was when um, Helen, my wife, she she woke up one morning and she'd been saying, no, Andy, no, 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 you, you'll get too stressed, da, da, da. lots of different reasons why it wasn't a good idea. And then she, she woke up one morning and, and she'd had a dream and she just felt a real peace and said, you can do it, go for it. And like I say- So the, you're, you're whispering in her ear all night, uh, say yes, say yes. <laughs> it actually worked, didn't it? Yeah, well, it did. <laughs> yeah. uh, somebody was whispering in her ear. Yeah, yeah, certainly was. Yeah, was, not, not you. Yeah. And I remember going for, I, I had three months out of work because I, I knew that that door had closed. Um, I won't go into the story, but there was, there was an issue at the, the last job where, where somebody was, was quite antagonistic towards me. And I, I just felt one day, I don't belong here anymore. God's got something better for me. And I was walking up a hill and I think I shared with you the, the story um, very briefly. It was it was kind of a picture that was played out in, in real life. And it was, it was really what God was calling me to. Uh, mm-hmm. there, was, there was a helicopter and there was a guy there and they, they were restoring the land. They, the helicopter was dropping seed and fertilizer on the land, which was very um, dark. It kind of was, was a picture of what God was calling me to do, to sow mm-hmm. seeds in a dark land and, and to restore it. This guy spoke to me. It's almost like, you know, God had sent him to speak to me. And he said, mm-hmm. you know, when this project, 
finished, the, the, the water is going to flow clean off the mountains um, in streams, uh, streams of living water almost. And um, it was a really powerful picture that, that God gave me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what he's calling me to, to, to do. This is the work that he wants me to do in the church. Well, we'll we'll talk we'll talk about the you know the land that's that's very dry, very parched, in, in just a few moments. You made an interesting statement a few minutes ago. I'd like for you to expand on that a little bit. That you had to talk the uh, the church into this. So, what was the 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 reservation? I mean, just I know this is probably a little bit of a vulnerable <laughs> conversation. We didn't plan on me asking this. I, I did warn you that this will go different directions. Well, I think fine. this is important because this is this is an elder church. Elder Elder-led church, and it worked for for 14 years. The church was really blossoming, being blessed. It went through a lot of hard times, but was being led well by by, yeah. by three men. Yeah. It did not have a full time pastor. Yeah. Uh, what was the the anticipated resistance? Maybe not resistance, but reaction that uh, you knew that you possibly were up against. So I think we we definitely underestimated it, and, and yes, you know, with hindsight, we we should have um, the conversation was quite high level so as a leadership team we were party to it but the rest of the church wasn't for, for a number of months probably that's interesting yeah and we, we felt at the time that was the best way and we tested it with with other church leaders that we trusted from one or two churches in the area um that, that know as well and they prayed with us and they had the same god was calling me which is obviously encouraging but but the, the majority of the church weren't aware of this conversation. And, and I think because we'd been talking and praying about it so much, when we went to the church, it was something that we knew. It wasn't anything different to us. But to them, it was it was a, maybe a bit of a shock to some. Yeah, interesting. And, and so with hindsight, we probably should have shared a bit more with the church. Yeah, uh, there's really, really an interesting point there for any church leadership to, to really weigh in, uh, you know, regarding any big decision that we, we need to anticipate how people are going to hear this because you know you spent a lot you're right you spent a lot of top time at the top talking about this confirmed by other churches other leaders uh it's like yeah it's got to be the right thing then but uh you you underestimated uh, out, out of not having communicated enough with the congregation yeah. uh so yeah so how did, how did that eventually smooth out and end up being well, good so we told the story and mm-hmm. Uh, you know the, the vision that I've been given and the, the confirmation from different sources and we, we invited people to ask questions and we had a meeting with them and then we had another meeting and people asked more questions <laughs> uh, and we gave the answers from the previous meeting and and it, it kind of I think we gave people ample opportunity um, which they did appreciate but some of the feedback was that they would have appreciated it earlier in the process so mm, the, um, the communication yeah yeah I think so yeah not everybody agreed the majority did, and uh, there was a consensus. And we did. We have a system where we vote, so members uh, vote on these things. And uh, yeah, thankfully it was it was agreed, which is good because otherwise I would I wouldn't have had a job to go to. Yeah, and and uh, also this was happening during a, a difficult time in in the church too. There have been some changes in location. Some of the ministries had had to close, and uh, so it. I think that might have had a factor to it as well. The the uh, there was a, a probably some insecurity overall in in the church life. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a sense that the timing was right because. Do you want me to talk about the? Uh, yeah, well, let, well, let, let's. Yeah, I, I see where you're transitioning. Yeah, let's get there in just a minute. I want to let's back up though. Look at a uh, little bit of the, you know, who you represent. You, your rep, your lighthouse there in a in really a dark community. I remember when I was there. Uh, I, I I was telling you before we 
we started recording that I, I would come into schools. Uh, they, they had in the school, they had what was called religious education as a required course. And really just for high school to learn about the Christian history, because Eng- England does have a, a Christian heritage. And they would have local ministers, pastors uh, speak at assemblies, what we would call chapels here in the States. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I had freedom to talk about anything. I could talk about my faith. I could talk about the Bible, about Christianity. As long as I always prefaced it by saying, this is what Christianity believes. This is what the Bible teaches. I could never say, this is my opinion. Uh, you know, as long as I said, hey, this is this is what Christianity holds to. Uh, this is what the Bible says. I had a lot of freedom. And um, a lot, oftentimes when I'd walk through the car park, as you say, we say parking lot. Yeah. Um, some of the young people would, would uh, uh, say, uh, you know, call me a Bible basher or a Bible thumper and make fun of me. And I, I would sometimes just tease back with them. Uh, but you say it's probably as bad, if not worse. So here, give me, let, let me give you some, some perspective for comparison here. We, we live in a town of about 18, uh, maybe 20,000 people where I live. And we have about 120 solid evangelical churches to 18,000 people. Uh, you mentioned Warrington has about 170,000 people. Birchwood has maybe what, 30 or 40,000 people? No, only, only uh, 12,000. 12,000. Okay. What, how many churches are there that you would consider to be solid biblical churches in, in all of Warrington, let's say, and then maybe even in Birchwood? In all of Warrington, possibly, I'm guessing here, possibly 50 or 60. Okay. Um, numerically, maybe 100, but some of those might not be in, in the category you, you call solid Bible. Belief. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I when I was there, we always said there were less than ten <laughs> that were that were as evangelical and. You might be stricter in your. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my definition of that. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Being generous. Uh, yeah. In Birchwood, there are ourselves. Uh, and one other, um, mm-hmm. and the the other church is uh, similar size, so they they get around about eighty or ninety on a Sunday mm-hmm. as as we do. And then there's one Anglican church which recently had to relocate outside of Birchwood, so they amalgamated. Um, okay, so two churches in Birchwood, twelve thousand people. That's yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so what, what is what is the general attitude of of people in the community towards you as a church, towards Christianity in general? Talk talk to us about what you hear, what you perceive. Obviously mixed. I think we find in where we are in Birchwood that largely people see church as irrelevant. People are fairly indifferent to to, to the gospel and to what church has to say. At worst, I think there is a growing hostility. Uh, and sometimes mockery. And you see examples of that played out online quite quite often. Mm. Um, yeah, sometimes people don't see it as credible, the gospel. And so it is mixed. People, I, I think people still want to hear a, a, about Jesus. People, are, If you can find a, a way in, build relationships with people, then often they're, they're interested in, in who Jesus is. You know, if you can find a way in for that, people will listen. But in terms of church, it's not relevant. It's... Yeah, well, you know there there was so many other things that you can yeah. do. Something that yeah, yeah, I, I found I found people were 
curious, maybe because yeah. hi- historically Jesus was someone that they had learned about. And, and I think sometimes a curiosity more in, in, in the sense of the, the oddity of, of what church is and, and who are the sort of people that go to the church. The hostility piece, which I, I think, I mean, the, the little bit that I'm reading from where I am regarding England as well as all of Europe, the, the hostility is certainly increasing. Uh, yeah. I know in France, for example, the evangelical church is is officially labeled a cult, mm-hmm. and uh, and some churches or movements have to fight to make sure their names are not put on that list. And I know the denomination we work with uh, has had to fight to not be part of that, but they're still perceived to be part of that. What what are you sensing there? Do people uh, look at you as a cult, as a sect of some sort? Of course, you are a sect. It's a Christian sect, but uh, you know what I mean. I think people are confused. You know, we, we're now, in fact, we changed our name from the Evangelical to Community Church yeah. a number of years ago, which was, I think, a wise move. Yeah, um, I had to explain that, and it made no sense to people, <laughs> yeah. the so, evangelical term, yeah. I think it's helpful that we are community-based and that mm-hmm. you know, evangelical is very much seen as a bit of a dirty word. If you can avoid using it, it's probably a good thing. Yeah, I think being a community church is important, uh, but obviously we are evangelical we just don't tell people that (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah it can set you off on a bad foot but it's interesting i mean i was chatting with a guy this morning and he he would he's very aware of the spirit world certainly not a christian we uh we his brother was in our worship band he was in our home group and he he went to speak with the lord about six weeks ago so we, we were chatting this morning he was here in my house and he's really impressed you know with just the care and just the way that the church supported um, him and the family. He said, in fact, it was his sister. uh, She said to me, um, she used the word evangelical. And she said, uh, so when did Chris, who died, when did he um, come to the evangelical church and why? And because he... From a Catholic background, so that's a really interesting one. We we don't tend to put labels so much these days in, in England um, in terms of different types of church. And so Chris, them asking the question prompted me to think about it. Yes, he's got Catholic upbringing, but he was very comfortable in an evangelical setting. You know, he, he just came along with his wife and they enjoyed the company and they enjoyed the style of worship and they enjoyed just being with, with people like ourselves. And then he's gone to be with the Lord and it's really spoken to his brother and sister. All they saw was a church family part of that he enjoyed being part of. He used his gifts in drumming. He, you know, made good friends here and he, he expressed his, his faith here. And, and they come along and they see that and they've gone, oh, Chris was from a Catholic background, but he's become an evangelical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And now you have an opportunity to reach out to them. There's there's obviously, I mean, you have, you have a so guy God, in your house, which, which obviously says a lot about your relationship with him. It was a real blessing to, to, yeah. to, to open ourselves up, you know, to, to stand with them in their grief and in their sorrow. And it's been a great loss for us as yeah. for me personally, a really good friend, mm. and for us as a church. But God's really used that. To, yeah, to amazing. To, uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. So, so occasionally you see people respond in this way, but but overall uh, a level of hostility, a disinterest. I think that you used a word like that earlier. Um, I read a book by Martin Robinson years ago. He British re, uh, writing about uh, Christianity yeah. in England, and and he made the statement that after World War II, the Brits, uh, the British, abandoned God, and they found no adequate replacement, and uh, 
is. So they, they live in a vacuum. They, they don't think about transcendent issues. They don't think about it. It amazed me how little thought people would put into life after death. Another term Martin Robinson used that they live in the perpetual present. Uh, they don't think about what's next. Um, what, 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 how, do you, how do you view that? How do you respond to that? What are you seeing that uh, confirms that? We don't that? think about what's next until something like that happens with Chris. Yeah, and yeah. It's... Uh, I mean, I've, I've conducted three funerals now, and uh, they've all been very different. The previous one to Chris um, was just somebody in the community who I connected with uh, his daughter. She didn't know anybody else, so she asked me. Mm, um, interesting. Uh, it was a real opportunity to, it was it was scary. It was really scary walking into a house and the whole family was there and you're the center of attention. You know, you, they're all upset and they're just looking to you for, yeah, you, you just use the opportunity to comfort and to, to bring God's love into the situation. But I just remember 200 people walk into the room for the for the funeral for the service, and they're all looking at you. This guy was a big Evertonian, so the, the most important thing in his life before he passed away was was football, yeah, soccer, so, soccer. <laughs> yeah. so the whole the whole place was bedecked in blue. Everton yeah, blue. yeah. So I just thought, well, I, I need to get alongside these people. So I had the club crest on the pulpit, and uh, fortunately, I used to go and see Everton play football, so I knew a little bit a bit about it. I think. People were appreciative because I was able to stand with them and just be real uh, and bring words of comfort and use it as an opportunity for the gospel. And, and so it's those those moments when people do think about the afterlife. Um, yeah, and, and and those moments too, they 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 highlight the the, the disparity, the the contrast between. I mean, I, I I've been I was in a lot of funerals where, like you said, the uh, the the emblems of the football team that they loved would be you know all over and just the things that they represented their interest in life was yeah. celebrated and here you are representing something spiritual and there's there's almost like this tension yeah. there and that that's guess, highlighted at funerals but it's a great opportunity because people are suddenly thinking wait a minute this there's a finality here there's got to be something more and uh, and that's that's the way in to to speak words um, of truth, but also words of love. It's certainly it's certainly true that on a day to day basis, most people won't talk about it. Yeah, they, they won't consider uh, the, the bigger things in, in life. They certainly won't consider things of a of a religious or a spiritual nature. Generally, it's fairly taboo, I would say. And most people live for the day; they live for the moment. Do they? Do you mind telling the story of uh, that? This happened shortly after I visited, or maybe before I visited. And I know your son was part of a connected with a, a musician, young musician band, a, a group, a, a, a young popular rock group, becoming rather well known across England. And uh, tell us that story of the the accident, the tragedy that happened there, and what was the reaction of the community. And, and how were you able to speak some into that? It was, so my son's Tom and uh, yeah, he, he was in a band and music is his thing. And he had a, a close circle of friends and uh, it was just 18 months ago, I got a phone call to say, come home, um, Tom's friend has died. This was completely out of the blue. Um, he, he had a, an undetected heart condition. So Tom walked in and, you know, said my friends died, what do I do? Now, Tom, I would say, made a profession of faith um, when he was very young, uh, probably seven or eight, was in fellowship until the age of about 15. He's 24 now. And then I think his circle of friends, and this this guy was one of them, were not Christians. Mm -hmm. Um, We had no Christians to connect with at church. 
nobody his own age. Music was his, was his life, is his life. And so the big question then was, well, why did God allow this to happen? Mm-hmm. And Tom was already away from the Lord, but it, it's almost like this was cementing his, sad to say, cementing that distance between him yeah, and God. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. He still recognises that, yeah, there probably is a God. You know, it's the age-old question, why this this really matters to the medical authorities. You know, they could have have done more than they did. And uh, it's all the what if then, isn't it? Yeah. So if God is like this, I I really don't want to have anything to do with him. That's often often the reaction. And Tom's circle of friends is fairly typical. Yeah. It's not unusual. Well, I know know that the church is trying to... um, reach into the community and we'll we'll transition here to talk about more what you're doing as a church uh, so that people you know like Tom have a circle of, of believers I mean I think that's the goal is to see young people reach so that they're they're not alone that they have support Christian support so what is uh, Brit- uh, Birchwood Community Church doing in the community and uh, how are you connecting with the community because it's uh, it's a very active church you're you're very respected in the community and doing a lot yeah so we've been given a great opportunity really going back three or four years we we had um, a building that we called our own so we'd been offered the use of what used to be a pub we did it up uh, to make it look more like a church slightly there was no bar anymore but uh, and we used that for six years so we had a worship center upstairs we had a cafe downstairs community cafe um, we had um, a youth drop-in food bank um, clothing recycling and so there was a lot of stuff going on in the community that we were engaged in and that worked well for a while and then we got notice from the the landlord that we needed to move out because they were going to demolish so we're right next to a shopping mall um, and the landlord of the shopping mall owned that premises and they were going to redevelop that side of the mall so we had to move out so we no longer had a cafe we no longer had a youth drop-in we no everything everything shut down right away everything shut down literally overnight we moved out and we now started to worship in the in the high school um, which is local to us and so we were a little bit confused as to why this would have happened uh, there was a lot of good things there was a lot of looking back the way i would explain it now is that there were also some things that weren't honoring to god in that mm. in, in the relationship um, in one or two of the uh, the people who were serving especially in the cafe some things weren't weren't good um mm. We acknowledge now that that maybe God was was stripping that away, um, so that our focus would go would go back onto Him. So really resetting your vision and purpose. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of confusion at the time. Uh, mm. A few people were lost to us. A few people did leave uh, as we transitioned into the high school. Um, so we had a place to worship, but we had nothing to enable us to, to get into the community. There was no bridge anymore. None of those. Um, community um, outreaches and so that that was um, as, it, as it was for nearly two years and we were praying about this and then one day the manager of the mall uh, got in touch and he said can I show you a, a building uh, you probably felt slightly guilty that they <laughs> demolished the old place and uh, by now it had been demolished and we were we were even more upset because the redevelopment never took place um, mm. so now all you've got there is is um, grass um, it's just been grassed over. But he, he showed us this building that was literally next door. And he said, we were going to demolish this too. But we don't need to now. Can you use it um, to, to, to serve the community? So here's a non-Christian saying to a bunch of Christians, wow, wow. here's a space. Can you use it to bless this community? That's amazing. Slightly, slightly blown away. And of course, we asked the, the obvious question, how much is it going to cost? 
Now, how's it, how's it possible to be slightly blown away? <laughs> okay, well, we were completely blown away when he told <laughs> There you go. Um, you know, no. we Americans blame the, we accuse the Brits of being a little understated sometimes, and there was an example. <laughs> <laughs> so we were completely blown away when he said that uh, there, was no, there was no cost, um, a small service charge. There was no rent to pay. It was a smaller building than the older place than the old place but but actually what we've found is that it's absolutely ideal um, so we don't worship there we use it um, as our sort of community outreach base uh, and this was all happening at the same time that god was calling me into ministry wow. so, so that the fit was just yeah perfect. there was someone there to lead that they had the time to lead it that's wonderful yeah, absolutely yeah. So what are some of the ministries that happen in that in that community building? So we have um, sort of a daily program. We're not there today. So Wednesday is the one day we're closed, mm-hmm. but every other weekday we're open. We have things like coffee mornings. We find people just come in and, and drink tea and coffee and chat. And often they just open up to you or, or they may, may ask for prayer. We have an art class that meets on a Tuesday. So one of the ladies in the church um, is a gifted artist. Um, and people come in and they they just chat and paint stuff and draw stuff Mm. you know i i run a a bible study at lunchtime so they can they can opt in or they Mm -hmm. can opt out to the the bible study the vast majority opt in which is amazing really yeah yeah so they're doing something else and then you say hey we're transitioning i'm gonna do a bible study and then they stay for that that. and wow there's there's about 20 that come one goes and has some lunch and one will carry on painting Mm. uh, and and the rest come and have a bible study and at the moment we're going through the gospel of john we're, we're using a great resource called the word one-to-one except i'm doing it one to 18 <laughs> <laughs> it's designed to, to be done with with a friend uh, and it's great because it, it kind of it talk, takes you by the hand and it talks you through step by step it gives you the questions and the answers mm-hmm. um, but it's just a really engaging way of of taking uh, the gospel to, to people who may know nothing about the Bible and the majority of these people know next to nothing about yeah. the Bible. They want to know and they want to learn. And one of the ladies the other day, she said um, that she wouldn't miss it for the world. Um, My goodness. But she said, Oh no, I've got to go um, because I've got to do the Bible study at lunchtime. Ah, seriously. She was eager to go to that. Amazing. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I mean, last week, just as an encouragement, there's probably three Christians other than myself in that group. So the majority are not yet believers. Up until now, I will open in prayer or I'll ask one of the other believers to open in prayer. Two weeks ago, I just kind of threw it open, expecting it to be one of the Christians who volunteered to pray. Mm-hmm. And one of the ladies just said, I'll pray. And I'm wow. thinking, you're not even a Christian. How can you pray? <laughs> and she just she did it. And it was just wonderful. Wow. And so this, this week I said, right, who's going to pray? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and again, uh, in fact, it was, it was a lady who came to the Lord, uh, literally three weeks ago. She's been coming into the, to the center for about eight or 10 months. She literally just walked, she's called Julie. She walked in, um, off the street one day with a whole load of problems. Um, she just poured her heart out mm. Um, there was a lot of crying. We did some prayer over her. She realized that this was a safe space for her to come. Um, she comes to everything. So wow. you know, she comes to the art class. She comes to the coffee mornings. She comes to the, they do like a, a knitting group on, on Thursday. She comes to everything. And then she started to come to church. It was just a natural thing because she got to know some of the church folk, got to befriend them. Um, she came at Christmas. She came with a friend and... About a month ago, uh, I said, would you like to read 
one of these. I gave her a copy of Journey into Life. Mm-hmm. I said, when are you ready to, to go through it with me? Um, we, we, can, we can do that. And if you're ready to, to, to commit your life to the Lord, we'll do that together. Um, and so the following week, she came back and said, yeah, I'm ready for that prayer now. That's and, wonderful. And then she told the church on, on Sunday what she'd done. She committed herself. Wow. Confess to the church as well. That's the way it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Praying, praying in a group of 18. Um, yeah. Wow. Wow. So well, it's great. It's great to hear an example, several examples of the out outcome of these. Uh, yeah. You're not just, you're not just giving people opportunity to paint or do other things in the community. It's with the goal of the gospel. Um, you know, it's interesting it, here, evangelicalism in the States, we put a lot of emphasis in, in people making a response to Christ in, in a single moment. And right. You you might you might have heard of uh, evangelism explosion. It comes out of two diagnostic questions that you ask people to kind of gauge where they are, and then it's an open door to present Christ. The first question is, uh, if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? And yeah. then based on that answer, you you know how to speak to them. The second question is, if you were to die and you you were to stand before God and He were to say to you, Andy, why should I let you into my he- my heaven? Uh, your answer gives me a good sense of of your understanding of the gospel. You know, so if you say yeah. I I was I was baptized in church or I've been I I help a lot of people, you you know that, that, that you don't quite understand the gospel. And I used to always say in England when I pastored there that uh, that question is answered in a, in a period of two to three years that that people it's it's a process that people are are being drawn to Christ there and then there's just this moment where hey the lights came on you know and I, I knew a lot of people they just it's like they came to church and it, you start asking them about their faith and now they're expressing their commitment to Christ you know and it happened in not a single moment but it was a, lo- a process of time yeah. and uh, it's it, uh, it was always encouraging about nine months and that, and that yeah was wow from, yeah from, from being quite you know saying now that nine months ago yeah she she would have nothing to do with church yeah yeah she had a bad experience her only experience of church was was negative mm-hmm. um, so she came with that and um it was it was a, it was the, very much the befriending and and the yeah yeah, part of a community that drew her in, um, and then it was a process of, of looking at what the Bible says: who is Jesus, and, and, and really yeah. going very. So by the time they make the commitment, they know what they're doing. I mean, it's it's certain; it's been yeah. thought through. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, talk to us a little bit. Uh, you're working with other churches as well, which has been a real encouragement to you. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, there's always been a, a, a reasonably good relationship between the, the two slash three churches in in Birch. Um, we will call it three because the the, the Anglican Church now has a, a pioneer vicar. So this is a really wise move by the Anglican Church because in terms of the congregation, there's, there's very little life. What they've said is we will put somebody who will minister in the community hmm. primarily rather than in the church, which I think was a, a very good step of the Church of England to make. So Rebecca arrived in Birchwood about 18 months ago. She started just after I went full time. Uh-huh. And um, and she's very, very evangelical, very keen to um, take the gospel into the community and to work with myself and with the other church in Birchwood. So that's really t- gathered pace. And, uh, you know, we've always done the thing at Easter, which is where we go into the shopping mall with, with a cross set up in there and have a, have a service outside the outside Asda. And that's always been quite well received. But I felt like this year there was a real sense of we're doing this together and we're looking to do more things together as, as a 
group of three churches. Well, you're, this, yeah, this you're is, stronger. You're stronger that way, collaborating together. Absolutely. Same same yeah. mission, same same yeah, burden we, for we, the community. We did stuff together at Christmas time as well um, <clears throat> across Warrington. Many of the churches are now getting together. Uh, we had our first joint event in the town centre. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a speaker in. Um, we we filled a, about a one thousand seat auditorium uh, for that, and that was mm. and wide. So that was that was a real step of, of faith and a, a sense of okay, we want as Warrington to be serious about the gospel together. And God's only going to move when the churches are united. And so that was that was really important. And we're looking to see what we can what we can build on with that. Yeah. Well, I would ask people listening to this because um, we don't often think about England being a, a a nation in real need of Christ. And uh, so I would really ask people to be praying for you and and for the church there in Birchwood, the churches that work together in Birchwood um, and for this small community you know it's a it's a small uh, you know 80 90 people with a huge calling upon their lives you know led by someone like you who's come into this you know uh, midlife and and uh, I, I think there's huge you know, we, we did a podcast about second career ministry and you know we concluded that people are a lot better when they do this as a second career because <laughs> you come with a lot of mm-hmm. life experience so I the Lord's using you Andy it's it's so obvious and um, I think having that sense of uncertainty is is probably good we we talked about you know some of the difficult things the church has gone through. So I'll, uh, I'm always curious. Um, I, I was when I was working there because here, uh, not to be too disparaging about the church in America, because we could go for hours if we did, if we got into this. That uh, you know, if people don't like their church, they can just leave and go to another church. Um, I mean, granted, there's two other churches in in Birchwood, and I'm sure if people are unhappy, they might go to those churches. But what I found is oftentimes when there was conflict and and uh, or people were were struggling with leadership or even struggling with their faith, uh, they couldn't just go somewhere else. You know, it had to be dealt with there. It had to be resolved there, which I think is the way it should be. What do you what do you talk to us a little bit about that? So there's there's definitely less choice here. Um, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, I mean, we, we lost a, a shared that when we, we transitioned to the um, from the old uh, church centre into the school, we did lose a few people. Um, sadly, I would say, to my knowledge, some of those are not in fellowship at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Some did, did find a new spiritual home, and, and actually one or two have come back, which is, which mm-hmm. is amazing and always encouraging. But it, yeah, it's always... It tends to be personalities rather than doctrine. Yeah. Uh, we have lost somebody due to our uh, potentially um, doctrinal, I would say, was the, the, the main reason why one. Mm-hmm. But in every other case that I can think of, it's been down to they just fell out with somebody. Now, yeah. Going back a few years, and God's been good recently, we get on really well these days. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that, yeah, there was a pruning at one time, that there was a, a really diffi- difficult time in the church where there was a problem with one of the, the church leaders. Um, and there was there was quite a fallout as a result of that. But this is a number of years ago. I think these days people are very supportive. People are very much on board with what we're trying to do. But yeah, it's always tough, isn't it? When, when people yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to to note that difference that that is uh, is true of of your setting. That's uh, again uh, to help us appreciate a lot more what it's like, and and maybe even to encourage us here uh, to still see our community as our family. And and I agree with you. I mean, we did actually 
actually a podcast about this, that most people, when they leave a church, it's rarely over theological issues. It's usually over personal conflict. And, and we're, you know, out of my ministry, I'm, I'm encouraging people to resolve it within the family. I mean, you don't do, we don't do this with our own families, that if your son or daughter or my son or daughter, you know, are mad with us, they're, they're not going to go to another family. <laughs> No. So we need to see church as, as being family that, uh, you know, you resolve things in house and, and, no, you, and you're stronger, you you're stronger and, and having the opportunity to go through the whole process of, uh, yeah. of restoration too. And because uh, we, we don't often see that completed here, you know, from, right. from uh, confronting to repenting to confessing to restoration, it's usually interrupted in the middle because people go somewhere else. Yeah. And I think it's more likely that you're going to go through the whole process in, in a setting like yours. Yeah, and we're we're very big on on being family. Yeah, I know, I know you are. Yeah, we are a family primarily. Yeah, Um, and uh, yeah, doctrine can be important, but ultimately, if you're a family, then you 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 get along and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Those uh, concessions where you need to. Yeah. Um, so how how have you to finish up with this? Uh, you personally, how 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 have you grown through this this experience? And uh, talk to us about a little bit about what burdens you right now and what you're passionate about. Um, so our our church um, motto is Jesus changing lives. <laughs> It took the, the leadership a long time to get to that. You could have probably done it in about 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, 10 years. yeah. Well, it's um, still profound, though. It's it still profound. profound. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so what, we, what we say now is that if what we're seeking to do isn't about Jesus changing lives, then we don't do it. Wow. I love that. And, and so, yeah, if we're having a coffee morning, you're not necessarily going to see a life changed at that very moment, but that's what you're praying for. But that's the goal. That's the purpose. Yeah. I love that. You know, yesterday I was just closing up in the encounter center. Um, A guy walks in with an old lady on his arm um, and he said, this is my mom. She's 90 years of age. What can you offer her in the encounter center? Wow. Wow. Um, So I, so I just said all the things that she could come to. She told me that she used to sing in a choir, so she was comfortable with church. And I'd not even mentioned church. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just amazing when things like that happen. We had a, a guy walking off the street the other day called Alexander. He just walked in, broke down, <clears throat> shared, shared his story. His mum died a year. Mm. He's only 50 years of age, but he looked about 70. And he's just completely fallen out of society. Um, he must have lived with his mum all his life. He spent all his savings. He he has no job, he has no benefits, he has no home. He was staying in a caravan and he just walked in one day and, and says help. And so, you know, I think the thing that I've I've learned through the experience of being there for these kind of people is that I can't help them. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not about me. And as soon as, as, soon as I think that it is about me, then I've got a problem. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's been times where, yeah, I have got stressed because I, I've, Throw myself into into helping somebody. Started to believe the lie that it's actually about me. It, it's literally it, it's about Jesus. Um, yeah, and and I'll say that to people. You know, I'll say, well, I can I can point you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll know, I know somebody who can find you a house or help you to get some benefits or a job. But all I can do really is is pray for you and, and listen to you and invite Jesus to, to to make the difference in your life. You know, by showing that compassion and that 
that listening ear, it gives you opportunity to, to say that to people. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that because I, I think, um, and it's probably easier for you to say, given that you're not trained in ministry, I, I think a lot of pastors rely so much on our, you know, we rely on our training and our skills and ability. And it's good to be reminded that, um, no, our, our job, even our training, everything we've been prepared to do is to say, hey, I know a man who, who can help you. Um, uh, sorry to make this about my sermon this Sunday, but I'm preaching on Joseph. Uh, mm-hmm. When he's in prison, Potiphar has a dream, and the cupbearer, who has forgotten Joseph, yeah. uh, when he hears about the dream and the magicians and people in Egypt cannot interpret the dream, he suddenly remembers Joseph, and he says, I remember a man who can interpret dreams. And, of course, Joseph is a, is a type and shadow of Jesus in, in the whole story of Joseph. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, great reminder that our job is to point people to Jesus. I love what you say that if it's not about that, then we're not going to do it. Uh, so to, you know, maybe allow that to be an encouragement to pastors listening that uh, just reset everything you're doing around your your vision statement. And what is your vision statement? Is it about Christ? Is it about the gospel? Yeah. Uh, so, so great. Um, if you can do it in three uh, words, all the better. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like make America great again. But no, we won't go there. <laughs> Let's not. <laughs> okay. Well, um, Andy, any final thoughts? This has been a wonderful conversation. I think we've summed it up already. Yeah, um, we did. It's been good. About Jesus changing lives. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just blessed that God has allowed me to, to do this for a living. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you pinch better. yourself sometimes and say, is this really true? Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think back to when the door was closing to, to that, the last job that I had in Manchester and, and that was a tough time in my life and, and, and mm-hmm. but I wouldn't go back there for the world. Yeah. Well, and, and you see God's sovereignty and providence and all of that much Absolutely. clearer now than yeah, yeah. you were able to in the moment. So, well, thank you again for uh, giving your time to this, and it's it's great talking uh, with you. And we've been connecting pretty regularly recently. But uh, thank you for thank you for doing this. I know it'd be a real encouragement to others. Very welcome. It's been fun. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments about anything we've talked about today on Before You Quit or any other podcast, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And you can also go to our website and check out a lot of podcasts, lots of blogs that I've written. Try to keep that uh, pretty uh, functional and moving. I think you'll find a lot of the things that I write about very relevant to, to ministry life. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged.